Well, thank you for inviting me to uh, come to the Manchester Conference. I think the youngest person here is my daughter, Hannah, who's eight months. And uh, my mother tells me that when I was six months, uh, I made my debut attending the Manchester Conference in a very smart blue duffel coat. <laughs> Apologies, my attendance has lapsed since then. I think I came once, and I remember the tea boxes and the, had the, my favorite chocolate bar in them, which was wonderful. But we have that to look forward to. But before that, uh, the message I'd like to, to speak about um, is, is quite a big one. Our joy in the Lord. Or to make it just slightly smaller, illustrating that from the experience of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Philippians. Um, just before we, we read uh, some of that letter together, why do I want to talk about this today? Well, over the last year uh, in the southeast of England where uh, I'm from, sorry the northern accent never really got established, so I hope you can understand what I'm saying. But we've been looking at the life of Paul uh, over the last year. Um, obviously for a youth audience, equivalent to your YPMs, uh, looking at the action scenes. Uh, so looking through the Acts of the Apostles about things like Paul's conversion, the jail falling down and Paul being rescued after witnessing and baptising the jailer, speaking the Areopagus, overcoming and escaping the riot at Ephesus, the shipwreck, all of those things that this man, who in his latter days is writing this letter, has experienced and he's done it all and gone through it all because of the love that he has for God, uh, his knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and desire to speak so well of him. Through that work, all those things he experienced, he went around establishing the Christian faith, building churches across South Asia and Europe. What really struck me, and they gave me the sort of final talk of the year to do, trying to sum up the legacy of Paul, that was a man who knew constant trial. The things that he came through, but he was able to do that because of the strength of the Lord. And that brought me to this subject, the joy in the Lord. And as I started reading Philippians, well, it's in every other sentence, the joy that he had. I'd probably like to speak about the whole letter, but that would be a training for service course or something. Um, so I'll try and restrict it to just the theme of the joy in the early chapters. Just to set the scene to this letter to the Philippians, where is Philippi? It's kind of top middle on that map. You might not be able to see it uh, at the back and on the video. But Paul had traveled on his first journey just in Asia. On his second one, uh, was called in a vision to cross over and go to Macedonia, which is where Philippi is. And on his third journey, uh, he went back to visit them. And then where he's writing this letter to them from uh, is on what's sometimes called his fourth journey or journey to Rome, where he was taken as prisoner. And in Acts 27, 28, we read about how he was shipwrecked uh, on that treacherous journey. But nothing seemed to be able to stop this man from speaking good of the Lord and showing the joy that he had in his heart to, for the things that he knew. When he finished the fourth journey, he arrived in Rome. And uh, from there, he wrote the prison letters, of which Philippians is one. There's a little artist illustration. So Paul wrote 13 out of the 21 books of the New Testament. Five of those, I think, were written from some form of imprisonment, whether that be house arrest or actually in jail. And that includes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 2 Timothy, and Philemon. 
As I looked at this picture, I thought, well, actually, that's not too bad. That's not how I imagine prison being, probably not even how I imagine house arrest being, but the soldier looks pretty relaxed. He's taken off his helmet, and uh, Paul is there, and he's able to carry out a lot of the things that he is wanting to do. As you can see, he is, uh, in that picture at least, in a physical chain. But he has visitors, he's able to write letters, and uh, as we'll read, um, was able to speak to a number of different guards who were rostered uh, with him. So perhaps we could uh, read from, first, from Philippians chapter 1, just through to the beginning of chapter 2, uh, and then we'll look to the Lord's teaching in these things. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, reading from the English Standard Version. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers of me with grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always in Christ, will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come or to see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, 
striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look on, not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. There's quite a lot in that. The, the first uh, little topic, Paul's joy in suffering. As I reread these verses, uh, I thought, well, actually, that's not necessarily about suffering, but in the context of everything that we've already thought about, where Paul was, what he'd experienced, um, why he was writing these letters, because he'd love to visit them, but he couldn't get there. He was suffering. But this is definitely that sort of glass half full um, opening to this letter of thanks. It's a remarkably positive testimony of someone who'd spent his whole life traveling and now he was fixed in one place. He couldn't get out about, he longed to meet them, but what he could do was write to them. We don't necessarily pick up that suffering in what is actually written uh, in these opening verses, three through to 11. But what he's doing in this opening is switching all the attention away from himself. Yes, I'm suffering. Yes, I'd like to be doing something different, but well, whatever will be, will be. It's in God's hands. But what I can do is praise you. Think about you and joy in the things that I've shared with you and the things that I hope that God will lead you to. Verse three, I thank my God. That's the top of Paul's agenda, to thank his God for the Philippians, the things that he remembers doing with them, the prayers that he has for them, making those with joy. And he does all that because of this partnership that he has in the gospel. He holds them in his heart. This is a man who really cares about the people he's met. And remember, he's met thousands of people, thousands of people probably he has led to salvation, has baptized and uh, worked with in the local churches. He holds them all in his heart. Those highlights, so much thanksgiving, care, love, and joy. And uh, Philippians, it, it comes through in the sort of small print at the end of chapter four. It's a letter of thanks to the church for them providing for his needs while he is away and in prison. But it all starts off with projecting what he's been doing and what he plans for them. It shows so much about the motivations that Paul had in his whole life. And now we're catching up with Paul in the last few years of his life. He desires that they would know the joy of the Lord. But he can see that, and he 
speaks and writes about that to them, even though he's suffering. But because of my suffering, these are the things that I can rejoice in more greatly. He'd only been to Philippi twice, but had such a closeness with the saints there. Just in verse 9, we get a snippet of, of teaching. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. That's how to teach. That doesn't feel when you just read it like someone who's teaching. It's someone who's sharing. He's saying, what I'm praying for is that your love, your love in the Lord Jesus, and therefore your love for one another, would abound more and more as you grow in knowledge. That's the polite way of saying your focus to the church he's writing should be in these things, and that will help them to grow. Joy in the gospel. He's in reflective mood in these prison letters for obvious reasons. He's, he thinks his days are probably numbered. He's about to stand trial. But looking back, he says, what has happened to me? The fact that I've been shipwrecked, imprisoned, been in the riot, the jail's fallen down around me, all of these things, they are for a purpose. They've served to advance the gospel. And then specifically uh, in the scene that we've, we've had pictured, he has been able to speak to the whole Imperial Guard. And they have come to know. The jailers, they have to be there. They're sent by the centurion, right? It's your day to go and guard Paul. Make sure he doesn't escape. Make sure uh, no troublemakers get to him. It's your job to do that. But while you're there, Paul's going to go on about his favourite subject. I'm here, but I'm here because I'm a soldier of Christ. And uh, the great respect that that gains as he witnesses to those soldiers. Uh, and uh, when they get back to camp, they say, well, the one job we had today was to talk to this man. And he just went on and on. But something seemed to rub on. They were inspired by Paul imprisonment. He couldn't have done that if he was traveling around doing his normal thing. He's met a new group uh, in, the, in the Imperial Guard at Rome. All of these things that happened to him Paul used the opportunities that were there to advance the gospel, to speak of his message. And uh, we see him as a man of great passion. This joy in the gospel was the centre of that passion. Our title is Joy in the Lord. All of the things that the Lord has done and things that God has planned for us. But it centres around uh, the cross of Christ. Paul had spent 20 years traveling around, preaching, establishing, and nurturing churches. All of these things had happened, but they couldn't stop him. He would always talk about Christ. This message of the gospel, I'm sure he could do it far better than I can. Thinking about the Christ who loves us, the one who went out of his way to meet us. He did that through his death at Calvary, and through that death he did it, knowing what its purpose was, knowing that the Lord Jesus would suffer for it, but he did it for us, that through his death, we would have eternal redemption. Is that a passion that we can have, a joy in the gospel? We might not be as gifted or as able as Paul to go out and speak it, but the things that we read from Paul in these reflective letters are the things that he had in his heart. Do we have the gospel in our heart? 
The second verse of the hymn we sang, forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the cross of Christ. That's directly taken from uh, Galatians 14, but thinks more about the subject that comes through in this letter of knowing Christ. I'm going to cheat, I'm going off piste, into, dipping into Philippians 3, verses 8 to 11. The surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, that in any way possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That is Paul's experience. Lots of things got him down, a lot of things got in the way, but I count it all as rubbish, it says here, in order that I may gain Christ. Don't let these things get in the way. Nothing is important to me, he says, as knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we see that passion and commitment coming through. That surpasses his sufferings, that I may gain Christ. Christ in my life. That's the personal touch he's speaking about. And that, that is from Paul, the great teacher, the things that are so personal as he writes this letter, the Christ that he has in his heart. He endured much hardship in his life. He was a man prior to his conversion of great worldly status, but he became humble to become a tent maker, an evangelist, and eventually a martyr. Flicking over his joy in Christ. Um, this is sort of on the paragraph turn in your Bibles. In that I will rejoice, yes, I will rejoice that Christ is proclaimed. He's got quite a few intertwining thoughts going in in this little section, verses 18 to 26. Reaffirming his joy at knowing Christ that we've just thought about, rejoicing and taking comfort from the strength that Christ has and the Holy Spirit within him is giving and challenging to be courageous, challenging himself in facing what he thought was to come, whether in life or in death. Which of these is the one that my God will choose for me at this point. Verse 20, just read it from the New International Version. I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always in Christ, will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. That's the dilemma he's facing. Well, it's not really a dilemma for him because he's actually equally happy and totally assured in life or death, what the Lord has for him. What his prayer is that the test that will come, that he will be strong enough, that he will be able to man up to it, if you like, to cope with what the Lord has in store for him. And then we come to that famous verse, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm a bit older than you might think. Back to YFR 2004. I've still got the sweatshirt, the t-shirt if you like in this context. It's my camp sleeping jumper. And that was Jesus 
And uh, our key half verse was this one, for me to live is Christ. And I'm thinking, well, why have they left out the second half of the verse? 2004 was the height of the war on terror. I'm thinking, actually, if we went around thinking, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, we'd all like a bunch of suicide bombers. So probably um, it was a good idea uh, to miss out the second verse. But what, what does this verse really mean? The, the first bit probably is the easy part, for me to live is Christ. That's making Christ our focus, our joy, our inspiration. With all the other things that go on in our lives, is Christ our focus? Is that what makes us tick? Our knowledge and relationship and love of Christ and all the things that we get to do because of the things that we share in Christ. For me to live is Christ. But what about to die is gain? Paul's objective for the last two decades was to live Christ. And uh, with some reluctance at times, he was led away by his friends so that he would avoid um, being killed, such as uh, in the riot at Ephesus. But now he's thinking about what's going to happen. This is a man who probably is on death row. As one secure in Christ, he has nothing to fear from death. It would be better, he says, to be freed from this and be with Christ. But that if I stay and have more to do, well, that's probably what God wants. It's out of God's hands, and Paul is very open to that. Whichever way it is, then that's okay with me. It will work out. How is this a comfort to us in times of struggle? In our opening hymns, we've been thinking about the coming of the Lord. Now, this isn't, is in my notes. It's not coincidence. Uh, PhSS 435, we wait the coming of the Lord. In my second year at university, in my bed, not very loudly. I sung that hymn quite a lot. I wasn't quite suicidal, but it was all bad. It was all bad. The work was too hard. The friends were horrible. It was all going wrong. Maybe God, maybe the time's to come, get me out of here. The sort of, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. The positive of that is that I was happy with whatever would happen. I wasn't saying, Lord, come quickly. That's sort of one of the other hymns. Um, but yes, there's another way, and actually I know what that one's about. That's the safe way. I know what's going to happen. It's going to be great to be with Christ. But actually, God, you might have more for me to do. So those are the kind of things that can comfort us in times of struggle. We don't know what's going to happen. God knows what will happen. And uh, we know that the Lord will deliver us uh, in that final day. Paul, in his outcomes... What is there for me to do? That's the, if you're going to keep me, Lord, if you would tarry with me, there's more things for me to do. Show me what they are. That's a question that we can all ask of ourselves. What is there more for us to do? And that includes the older ones. There will be more things that the Lord can use you to do, as well as the younger ones, for however long he deems uh, that we need to be on earth about his business. What hunger do we have for his service? How does this keep us going? How are we encouraged? How do we encourage others? Through our joy in Christ, through this, closer to God and more fulfilled in him. Joy in encouraging. With the exception of thinking about the joy in suffering, all of these things would be naturally joyful, especially to Paul. 
he's arrived at a bit of a summit in the introduction to this four-chapter epistle. The joy in Christ. This is where he comes to, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I'm calling this encouragement is actually a lot of quite challenging stuff. We've come through the niceties and all the joy he has of praying and thinking about other people, a little bit of reflection on himself. Now, well, what am I writing to you about? Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I think he's saying it in a, a strong but encouraging way, rather than something that's too challenging. What does a knowledge and conviction of the gospel mean? What is it to live our lives? How do we change this life to be worthy of the gospel of Christ? There's a good clue in Romans chapter 12, it talks about the transformation of our heart. Because of God's mercy, present yourselves as living sacrifice, not being conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's where it starts. Paul's talked about the joy. He's shown the joy that he has for the Lord in his heart. And now he's able to say, what about your manner of life? What about the things that you're doing? Are they worthy? Are they valid responses to what Christ has done for you? I guess typically at this time of the year, and we've got a, a wreath set out before us, we think about the sacrifices that have been made in times of war. What responsibilities do people take on? A little film clip. Um, so Saving Private Ryan, this was when I was becoming a late teenager. This was sort of a, an all action Tom Hanks film. But it ends with a very moving scene. The story's all been about this little uh, squad who've been sent to rescue the guy whose brothers have all died. And uh, they suffer great losses in doing that. But they do win a battle and they do save Private Ryan. But then as the captain uh, is down there, he's just been shot, he, he knows he's dying. He turns to Ryan and says, earn this. We've staked the lives of six out of eight of the guys who came to rescue you. Earn this. When you get home, go and do something great because of the sacrifices that we've made. That's just the illustration. Something's been done for us at great cost. What responsibilities does that give to us? We have been saved because of the love and gospel of Christ. What can we then do in service to our God? What Paul, I think, is saying is be a little bit brave. Ephesians 6 talks about the, all the reasons we have to stand firm and be strong in the Lord because of the armour of God that he has given. What he's saying to the Philippians is be a bit brave. Think of what I've come through. Think of what the Lord Jesus has come through. If you share a little bit in his sufferings, you will be sharing more in his glories. How can we use that to take on the tough times for things to come? Section five, moving into chapter two now. Chapter one is all about, or most of it is about you. All the things that Paul loves about the Philippians, the things that he cares for them about, and the things he talks about. Now he's switching it to Christ. I'll read this again. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, 
any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full in full accord with one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Looking at the life of Paul and the life of the Lord Jesus, there are many similarities. As a teacher, as a healer, as a traveller, and as one whose principles rocked the status quo of two men who were arrested and tried because of the things they did and spoke of. Paul has got one, one thing to say to them really, make my joy complete by being of one mind, being of the same mind, having the same love, being together as a church, being united in Christ, being united around the things that you've been saved from, the things that you're now working to because of the responsibilities of that salvation. Complete my joy, having the mind of Christ. In writing this pastoral, encouraging letter, he opens with the joy to be theirs, of unity in Christ, and shows about the unity of their love in Christ and the great love for each other. That's what will give him joy, seeing that in their acceptance of Christ and then building the community, the church, that he, on his previous trips, has worked to create. Then this passage, very well known, goes on to speak of what the Lord Jesus Christ gave up and how they should strive to imitate his humility. That too will give Paul joy and, of course, give joy to the Lord Jesus. It goes on to say he emptied himself. That, I think, is the most powerful statement that can be made about him. Everything that the Lord Jesus had as a king, as the one from God, he took it off. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. And then as the revised version says, being fashioned as a man. That's what the Lord Jesus took away. Paul has given up much in his life, but what he's showing is not as much as what the Lord did. And therefore, it's a great thing for me to do. It's the right thing for me to do. And he encourages them in their joy in serving to imitate the mind of Christ, being humble. The next one, joy in believing, uh, we've already covered from my dabble uh, into chapter three, the joy in the gospel, the joy of knowing Christ. Then the final one, and this is sneaking into chapter four. Oops, sorry, that was already there. I've called it the joy in giving. Three quick verses up there. The joy in giving that Paul is writing this thank you letter is. We get sort of buried in the bottom of chapter four of thank you for sending Epaphroditus and, and with him uh, the gift to meet my needs. When I start my thank you letters, they start, Dear Auntie Rachel, thank you for the jumper you gave me for Christmas uh, and uh, how wonderful it is to wear it and all the wonderful places I'm going to take it. So you start with the gift and you work through uh, the benefits of that. And then you sort of get to the sort of, well, it's supposed to fit on a page of A4, so tell her all the things you've been doing and how you long to see her, and in three years' time you might eventually turn up. That's the gist of my thank you letters. Paul's the other way around. All the wonderful things that have happened to him, the things that God is doing, the things that he wants from them, and then signs it off at the end with, and thank you for this.
we see his priorities. Mine is to have the jumper or the 20 pounds or whatever it comes to be. What is important to Paul? Verse 1, he talks about my brothers whom I long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. John Miller, in his notes, writes that the chiefest of all the crowns of the Lord will be to see the fruits of their labours. Paul starts this final chapter with thinking about them and calling them this title, my joy and crown, a collective for all that they are. He's looking forward to something in these latter days of his life, that we will see what we have done. That's encouraging to, to be active in the things that we can do. Who is our joy and crown going to be? Most of them we might not know, but we know with some that we work that we can say that I've contributed to leading someone to Christ in, in Bible teaching and practical ways in hospitality. All of these things that we can do to create our joy and crown. The chiefest of all the rewards that we can have save our salvation itself. Paul speaks of his joy and crown. The ones that he's travelled around countries and brought people to Christ across so many regions. They're like his children. He looks forward to being on the other side, to being in heaven, where he will see them in time. They will be there. It's not a physical crown. We're not about seeking physical crowns and seeking glory on this earth. But the expression of joy that we have in working with people, in working with them through to the Lord, the fruit of our work. In speaking about joy in Philippians, I obviously couldn't miss out verse 4, self-explanatory, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I'll resist the temptation to sing it. But the joy of this man is one of those you can't shut him up. Those soldiers, some of them might have liked him, some of them have been fed up with him. You couldn't stop him talking about the passions that he had. Verse 9, slightly beyond our subject, but uh, was what I closed uh, our young Christians meeting with and the challenge to set. After looking at the example of somebody like Paul, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace be with you. That is one big challenge. What you have seen in me, whatever you've done, learned, put it into practice. We've been thinking about our joy in the Lord, the joy that Paul had in his Lord, the joy that we know and can experience of our Lord. Paul has showed this in spades. How much can we emulate? We probably won't be able to do as much as Paul. Hopefully we won't suffer to the extent that he suffered. But we can joy in the gospel. We can joy in Christ. We can joy in encouraging one another. We can joy in serving. We, of course, will joy in knowing Christ. And in thinking of this, our joy in crown, we can joy in giving to the word of Christ. Our joy in the Lord.